0: This is Limitless Possibility, I'm Luke-Olivier de
1: And I'm Yannick Mringa. And what's our
0: topic for this week, Yannick? Game of the Year 2021. Nice! But before we start, we have some follow-up. And as mentioned in the previous episode's follow-up section, uh, this is our last episode for 2021. And we will have a small scheduling update because Yannick and I will be taking an extended break for the holiday season of 2021-2022. So, uh, In two weeks, on January 2nd, when we are all celebrating the new year, uh, don't expect a Limitpo episode, because we are skipping that episode. We will be deploying a new episode on January 16th. Uh, As usual, we'll send an update closer to January 2nd to remind you that we're skipping that episode. But the first episode of Limitless Possibility, episode 175, will be on January 16th, not January 2nd. And that's it for our... Uh, scheduling update. Yannick, yeah, you have do you do have some follow up?
1: Yeah. Uh. So first, some follow up for episode 168 about my updated gaming setup. Ooh. I will explain a little bit later why I bought a PC for gaming. Uh. In uh, oh, in you're the teasing last, it already? In the last two Man. weeks. But um, I actually sort of uh, figured something out about my HDMI switcher that I did not realize before. And that is, uh, if you remember on that episode, I mentioned that I couldn't hook up my Mac Mini to the HDMI switcher because it wouldn't pass along the information about the screen resolution to the connected devices. And that sucked. Uh, And I found out that there's a switch on my HDMI switcher that actually enables this. Uh, so, Oops. <laughs> yeah, if I just press the button that labeled EDID, which I believe is extended display identification, uh, the resolution information just carries over to the connected devices and they can do their, uh, magic, uh, themselves. The only problem is it doesn't actually seem to work on the Mac mini. It only works on the PC. So I haven't figured that part oh. out yet. Um, but, uh, at least I've made some progress in that front and, uh, it's, made my life a little bit easier because otherwise if it hadn't worked i was short by one hdmi uh port on my computer and i would have to use vga or something Uh, i still have issues with the hdmi cable because um and i believe this is a bug that was introduced in windows 10 in 2019 like if you have intel integrated graphics and you try to use hdmi out uh sometimes your audio just isn't detected by the uh by the windows machine and you just have to have all your audio go through the pc speaker which is super shitty on my computer uh so that sucks weird um yeah and most people i've seen are like yeah this is just a problem with intel and they never fixed it and it's like oh cool thanks
0: were you able to... T- I know you updated your Mac Mini to uh, Monterey recently. Yeah. Were you able to test it on Big Sur first before updating? If you see if it was a not a, if it was more on the OS update issue than just a macOS general issue about your Switcher.
1: When I tried it, it didn't work on Big Sur. I haven't tried it on Monterey just because I assume... It, it, it would be the same thing. Yeah. Like okay. I would see something show up on screen before it booted into the OS anyway, if it worked mm. and it doesn't. So. And that sucks. And then I have some follow up for the mini disc episode, which is uh, a fun tidbit to uh, end the year on, uh, fitting for our last episode of the year, which is uh, a word is being removed from the Japanese dictionary in 2022. The word "MD," which means mini disc, is being removed finally from the Japanese dictionary in 2022. So,
0: end of an era. Oh no! Uh Oh. our future people will be able to know about MIDI disc if they don't know the word MD
1: exactly Uh, Ah. there was like this segment on uh, the morning news a couple of weeks ago where they were just showing like here are all the words that are being removed from Japanese dictionaries and there's a bunch of really weird Made up words uh, because the Japanese loves to invent English words that don't actually mean what they say. Uh,
0: <laughs> okay.
1: So a lot of them are being removed from the dictionary because they are uh, very outdated. Like they haven't really been used much since the mid 90s, uh, which is cool. It's just the most important one for me was MD. When I saw that, I, I shed a little tear and uh, <laughs> I knew I had to talk about it on the show. So that's it for my follow up. Now we can get to the main topic. Game of the Year. Uh, this episode is going to be a weird one. Uh, Game of the Year yes. usually ends up being like our longest episodes. Like last year, it was almost three hours. I think it was two hours fifty minutes.
0: Oh yeah, it was nearly three
1: hours. I, I spent the whole afternoon listening to that last weekend. That was fun. Uh, this year, we might get a little bit less mileage. So both of our gaming tendencies changed significantly this year, and I think maybe we <laughs> should open with De uh changes here. Uh, because I think you have, you have more than me, or at least it'll take more to get through your uh changes than mine.
0: Um, uh, I don't think it will take more time, but you're correct that I wonder if we should say that if there are more changes or if there is less changes. Mm. But so let's just go back to last year episode where I finally took Yannick's advice of creating an account on backloggery.com to more or less monitor my video game process uh progress excuse me because one of the main issues that i had in the past few years because i consider myself a casual gamer and not in the sense of like playing like mobile games and things like more that i play on consoles but i'll have like periods in the year where i'll play a lot i'll let my ps4 collect some dust for the next three four months and then i will play another big session again um the main issue this year is this in between period why my PS4 collects dust was more or less 12 months. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I was looking at my memory card, which is more or less, uh, your, your diff changes to your backloggery account. If I can say it so in, uh, developer term, but more or less like it gives you your back history of all your progress changes you made. And if I look at it today, there was, there is no update since April 25th of this year. And that's when I, and it's around uh, episode 160, which you may recall, it was titled Optimize on Different Axes. And it was when I discussed that I bought a PC laptop and I had different reasons to, I had a lot of reason, kind of including gaming, uh, to buy a PC laptop. But for sure, the main gaming reasons was to play age of empire 2 especially the definitive edition while this laptop was not bought expressively to be a gaming pc or gaming laptop uh, it's funny because it does remind me of how i used to play uh age of empire 2 on my pentium 4 with a shitty graphics card now (laughs) it's just on a thinkpad laptop uh from 2016 but if i rolled this back since late april to when we recorded our past episode in late December, as usual. Uh, I've played... Okay, I'll be ignoring The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past because we made a a specific episode uh, for that, which... Did I... Oh, no, I forgot to put the number, but... It should be one
1: before or one after your
0: PC episode. You're correct. It's one before. It's one fifty-nine. waving a three-branch around, which more or less explains what we think about the uh with the game itself. But I won't name them because I want to keep the, the, the name of the games that I played ignoring Age of Empire 2 uh for the future section. But I've played one, two and three episo- three episodes and then we're back to last November or November twenty twenty when we discussed Stadia where I played Itman Destiny 2 and well, again we also have an episode for that uh, literally right before uh, episode 151 which was our previous game of the year episode 150 so I played three games this year nice uh, and one of them I have to look quickly one of them uh, it's I picked up a game I played last the well, fall 2020 uh, which I finally completed so it was one of those games where I played around the, the fall 2020 season. I dropped and then during the all the season I completed it finally. So, uh let's just say that at least my breakdown pro- my breakdown uh, index on Backloggery is close to being neutral. It's at minus 1. So, I guess it's good for that uh compared to the year before, but yeah, I didn't play too much game this year. And I don't think there's like I was in preparation for the show, I was talking with Yannick, especially offline, just before we press record today. And I was like trying to find a real reason, and I didn't came with any. I just didn't feel I wanted to play any games. Um, one thing I was thinking this year, the, in the preparation for this episode, though, is compared to what happened with the PS4, where... I think, Yannick, you bought yours... I always forget, and I ask It was you, a
1: year after launch
0: the year after launch and I think I did two years after launch I I, think I I waited a year after you to get my ps4 and my thinking this time around with the ps5 with the next gen was to say you know what uh I felt that the ps4 pro launched quite I think it launched maybe a year after I got mine my minimal ps4 something I 18 months after so I was not really in the mood to change it already but as with the rumors that we saw in the past 18 months up to the launch of the PS5 last year, we knew that a lot of the performance of the PS4 Pro would be still available or even better with the PS5 while playing PS4 games. So my thinking was not, hey, let's buy one at launch, but I don't want to wait two years after the launch to buy a console. And I kind of realized, again, we discussed this year, there's a lot of things that impacted, especially uh, the chip shortage because of covid Meant that getting a PS5 still this holiday season is kind of crazy. Like, it's, if you're getting one, uh, lucky for you. I have colleagues at work that have spent the last two or three months trying to find one. Uh, some of them were lucky. Another one just bought the PS5 from another colleague, uh, and things like that because trying to get one still today is, uh, <laughs> It's funny, it was like one of my colleagues was saying, like, oh, it's one of his friends that texted him, oh, go to this, by Best Buy in Montreal to get one, like, right, right now because they have stocks today. It's kind of like buying drugs from a friend. I'm making a bad analogy here, but you, you see what I mean. Like, if we look at the launch of, for example, the Switch, uh, or even the PS4, or even the previous Xbox consoles, like, a year after launch, it's assumed that you'll have enough stocks everywhere that people that want some, they can get some pretty easily. It's not a three-month journey to get one.
1: I think the Switch is kind of the exception, maybe less so in North America than in Japan. I think in Japan, they just had like such a killer game lineup where games were coming out like every three months or something that were like huge titles for the Switch that it made it really, really hard uh, for people to buy the Switch in Japan. And I think... Uh, it still has been mostly true uh, through the uh, d- like 2020 was kind of like that with uh, Animal Crossing and Ring Fit Adventure right. in Japan where those games not only were constantly sold out but they sold out the Switch as well. Uh Which wow, okay. is why the Switch has been doing so remarkably well uh, well all over the world honestly but especially in Japan. Right. Um, whereas you look at ps5 and xbox and right now like seriously the only quote unquote next gen system that is selling in big numbers uh is okay not selling in big numbers that is easily available is xbox series s
0: hmm right you you were mentioning and sending me a couple of articles about that yeah Uh, it seems that it's the only one that i guess it's because people are not buying it
1: uh no Uh, apparently it's selling quite well for microsoft uh and huh. I think it there there I think most of the systems that they are selling uh in the Xbox line right now is the Series S because people want the cheapest way to get into Game Pass as possible.
0: Oh, fair. Which fair, plays into like
1: what they're doing that other companies aren't doing right now, which is hey, you want to pay like $100 a year for actually I think it's cheaper than that, but you want to pay like uh $5 a month to get like every Xbox game that is good on day 1 or day 3 like Forza uh that sounds like a good deal you don't have to pay for $70 games anymore because now you just pay your monthly fee and you've got them all uh and i think that is a really appealing thing and if you look at how uh, Forza Horizon performed on social media and Halo Infinite to some degree as well i think a lot less people i think Halo Infinite last year had sort of a shit show uh, debut where right. they showed this trailer and it looked like absolute garbage and like this year they had the redemption arc where actually Halo Infinite is apparently one of the best uh, Halo games ever in terms of multiplayer huh. and the campaign is also pretty good from what I've heard so and, and nobody had to pay to play it because everyone who has Game Pass can just play it so I guess like if you look at straight up sales numbers Halo Infinite probably is gonna isn't going to do so hot but everyone's played it who has an Xbox anyway and a PC uh, and the same goes for Forza. It's ca- it's causing these big gaming events in the community that you usually only see like once a year for like Final Fantasy VII Remake or uh, Last of Us or stuff like that, where everybody is playing the same game. Well, now there are a lot more of those because uh, Game Pass is just something that is such a good deal that you would kind of be stupid not to sign up to it.
0: No, this is all interesting. And I think it is something that I, I don't want to talk about the future yet, but uh, <laughs> since you mentioned it uh, offline uh, in our line conversation in the past few weeks, that uh, I'll be keeping an eye on this because compared to when we last looked at online streaming platform, which is literally last the fall of 2020, uh, it seems that Game Pass is improving quite greatly. So maybe something to look in the future.
1: Yeah, if I actually had an Xbox controller, I would be playing stuff on xcloud right now i just don't have one
0: <laughs> and you would use what your pc for the to do that? uh
1: pc mac uh, whatever oh, i yeah. don't really care yeah, that's true. it runs it's everywhere that browser. has a browser yeah yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah i forgot about that so yeah um and lastly to go back on what i was saying about the ps5 um there's not that much next next gen games that came out in the past year for obvious reasons again uh there's one that you could say it's a next-gen, but we'll talk about it when I talk about my honorable mention. I didn't play with it, but you'll see it's related to one of the games I played. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, in the end, it meant that my PS4, like, was collecting dust. Uh, I didn't play that much Switch past uh, April 2021. Um, so, yeah. Uh, it's kind of weird, but... I guess it will make for uh, me having a short top three or short top one. I should say because <laughs> I don't like. Maybe it will it will be the great se- the best the good segue to go to the honorable mention. But I I feel it would be unjust not unjustifiable unjust to some of those games that I played to. Uh, to create a top three out of three games, literally. Uh, And if you want to hear our opinions about The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past, we have a long episode about that. Yep. Uh, And you already know already that our opinions are pretty mitigated, so... (laughs) I don't, I, I, if I played more than three games or four games, including this one, I don't feel it would even be part of my honorable mentions this year or it will be my dishonorable mention. Yeah, uh, I guess we, we haven't really mentioned
1: way. it yet, but I, I'm doing a top three this year. Usually I push for a top four, even though Luka, right. Luka comes under most
0: years. <laughs> <And> <laughs> yeah, because usually I play five or six games per year yeah. that I complete. Uh, so even making a top four is a bit hard, but yeah, this year's making a top one is going to be hard. So,
1: yeah. So I guess I should go into my changes then. Right. I played much fewer games in 2021 as well. Uh, I played more than like four games though. That's (laughs) for sure. It's closer to like a 20 something. And usually I have like 50 something, right? Uh, So I played about half, but I played uh, each game more on average. And I see the reason for this is I miss being able to go to arcades. Uh, The last time I went to an arcade was Halloween 2019. uh, When I was the last day I was in Japan. Uh, But what I realized through thinking through like what I miss about arcades, really what I miss is playing games with high skill ceilings over prolonged periods of time and getting better at the games over time. And that sounds a lot like music games, right? Uh, Music games filled that role in my past. uh, And right now I'm not really well equipped to play the ones that I want to play. namely I need fancy controllers for all the ones I want to play and I don't have them. uh, And I'm not necessarily in a situation where I can buy them right now. Uh, So the music games I like are out of the question for now. Uh, But a lot of arcade games fall into that category. Um, in fact, most arcade games, due to how they're designed, fall into that category. Um, but really, I stuck more to that broader category of high skill ceiling games you can improve at instead of limiting myself to arcade games. Uh, that said, arcade games are pretty good for this because they're fairly easy to integrate into a busy lifestyle because they were designed from the start for short uh, short play sessions uh, which usually top out around 15 minutes so if you've got a short amount of time to play games arcade games are great for that um, another thing that sort of contributed to this is I experimented with a lot of multiplayer arcade games in the first half of the year through my friend bachelor stream which we talked about uh, around the time that I was participating in that called the beautiful game and that was uh, it was about weekly, uh, where we would nominate our favorite multiplayer games, and we would hold a tournament for that game between ourselves every couple of weeks, right? Uh, and. Uh, most of the time they were like fighting games or uh, I think one time I was on a board game one uh, it was like a a Mario Party style game and stuff like that Uh, and we had a lot of fun just playing each other and most of us were beginners so it was kind of fair up until we got to the person who actually played the game regularly and then we all got destroyed Uh, but you know it's friends it's fun Uh, so because of that and playing around with these games a lot I started pushing more heavily into fighting games. Uh, My friend Marina has a fighting game Discord where everyone is just really nice and wants to chill and play fighting games regardless of how good we are. And uh, that has been a huge uh, thing for me where I just have this group of people. I can just ping any time of the day and just say, you want to play Street Fighter 2? You want to play Vampire Savior or whatever? And we can just play fighting games whenever and not have to worry about playing sometimes the inconsiderate strangers that you can find on fight uh so um but yeah so in general the theme you're going to find through a lot of the games that i've played this year are games that are meant to cause level ups in my head not level ups in my save file huh interesting
0: yeah one thing i like from what you mentioned about arcade games and again i'm still through my journey of understanding why I didn't play too much games. And you started the episode right before press recording by saying, it's fine to just say you didn't want to play games. And mm-hmm. I agree with you. But you, the, the reason why I'm kind of still finding a re- trying to find a reason is usually I have more kind of pull than I felt this year. And while I'm about to say that it's what you said about arcane games, that you can play like 15 minutes and go back to your other things in life... I kind of felt that I needed that more, but then I look at some of the games I played, my playtime through them, and I realize I played like games like multiple hours in a row, and then just left the laptop or left the console and then went on something else. So it's kind of a bit of dissonance in my thinking right now. Mm. But I really enjoy what you said about like having like fifteen minute burst of I play a game, I go do something else. Like also can be just to blow up some steam and like really really change your your mindset uh if you're having a bad day for example is maybe shooting something i should look into if i can find a game that can give me those like
1: well last year you said that super mario 35 was that for you unfortunately it doesn't exist anymore but
0: (laughs) (laughs) right which i continue playing in the holiday season while i was still around but after the holiday season i more or less stopped
1: Mm mm-hmm yeah, that, that, that game got really weird really quick with the <laughs> with the optimal <laughs> strategies to play that game. It was really funny to watch. Um, right. I guess we should go into our honorable mentions then. Do you want to start or do you want me to start? Yes,
0: I can start. Okay. So let's start with one of the game I mentioned, uh, Age of Empire 2. Uh, I am currently looking at my stats uh, on Steam and I played 32 hours of it. And the reason wow. I wanted to look at it, yes, is because I recall for the f- the few times I played it in the past six to eight months, uh, I remember I would literally burn an evening or burn an- a whole day <laughs> playing it. And then I would leave it dangling for a week or two or even more and then play a big chunk again. And I mentioned, I think... I think it's kind of a recurring meme in our podcast because I mention it so much in the past seven eight years that I really want to relive those time those types of real real time RTS or real time strategy, right? Yeah, right. RTS game that I played when I was young. So Age of Empire two was one of them. I played uh, Come and Conquer Red Alert too much hours when I was a teenager, <laughs> and I felt and I felt that recent games are not Recent RTSs are usually either on a mobile and they're like free-to-play bullshit or they're like not really, I don't I want to say in, inexistent, but they are like the ones that were popular that uh, stayed around. A good example I think about is StarCraft I which I haven't played, maybe I should try in the end. But uh, it's free I never now really...
1: if you want StarCraft One, and StarCraft Two is free to play as well for the Terran camping. I believe I started playing both this year.
0: Huh? Again, it's one of the big RTSs uh, that got updated in the recent year, so maybe I should look into that. We'll see. Uh, I don't know if it runs on my shitty laptop, but that's yes, a it topic. does. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I've st- it's StarCraft run on with...
1: my MacBook Pro, my old one, and it runs on my Mac Mini right now, so.
0: Hmm. Oh yeah. Oh, it would run on my iMac then. Yeah. Uh that's true. Okay. Um, uh, uh, no, taken. Maybe I should look into that. But yeah. Just so... switch
1: the render to metal, and you should be fine.
0: Yeah. I wonder if it works on M1 Max, but we'll see. I we shall know. see. Yeah. Okay. Uh, stop. It. Let's stop this diversion. But let's go back to Age of Empire 2 again. Um, I did not went into multiplayer. I, I'm not sure if I would say yet. I'm not. Uh, meaning that I'm not even sure if I'll ever go there but f- for sure like replaying the campaign i played when i was younger on this game and now having most of the expansion i think there's a new one now because of, for sure the, the definition in edition, excuse me is a couple of years old so they want people to still play to it and having new campaigns so they have dlcs but overall it, it really achieved the goal i wanted it to be is i love age of empire 2 dearly uh, it's super fun to play. I am sure my, my tactics and my strategies are utterly bad, but I'm only <laughs> pacing with, playing with the, the, against the computer, so that's not too bad. Uh, even if I some multiple campaigns, I had to redo a couple of times because I sucked. Uh, so maybe that's why I don't want to play online, but it's, it, it, it scratched the niche I wanted to do is relive the 90s, early 2000s rts games that i grew up with and age of empire is that for for sure for me this is an honorable mention could even be like a top a part of my top games but again uh i don't think i'll be declaring a top three games this year for the obvious reasons i mentioned
1: the weird thing with rts multiplayer is and I think the only one that sort of deviates from this pattern is maybe StarCraft two to some degree, is that okay. multiplayer kind of feels like a completely different game than when you play in the campaign. Like, it's the same engine, hmm. it's the same rules, but the way you play it is completely different because there's this just pre-existing metagame of like this is the optimal build order for all of my stuff. And you're effectively, it's kind of like chess where you're like memorizing situations and choosing the optimal decision based on a tree of what was already known to be the optimal decisions. And you're not really mm. I don't want to say you're not playing the game because people are going to get really angry if I say that. But uh a lot more of your playing of the game is done through a decision tree and it's memorizing that decision tree and sticking to it that is kind of the the game that you're playing and not so much what you're doing when you're playing against a cpu where stuff is a lot slower paced um to some extent like i was talking about this with some fighting game friends recently as well it's very similar to uh casual smash brothers melee versus competitive smash brothers melee where Mm -hmm. the floor at which you are able to play casual melee is have you ever held a game controller before? And the floor <laughs> for playing uh, competitive melee is how much do you want to destroy your hands today? And uh. that's kind of what I feel with multiplayer RTS. And I think StarCraft II kind of, from what I've seen, I haven't gone far enough into the game to actually say this, right. but I think like the late, late campaign missions and maybe certain specific uh, DLC campaigns are made to be... Like this is fun for competitive players as well as just people who okay. like to play the thing.
0: Right, right. Now I see what you mean. That people that have real skills in this game can also enjoy the campaign. It's not designed all of to them. be
1: like a different kind of challenge for people who are familiar with the competitive meta game and who want to apply it in a different situation than playing against someone else. Which is very interesting and not something you see very often. And I think more right. games should kind of do that. Uh, but. You rarely see it in the RTS genre. You usually just see like, here's the campaign, and then good luck leveling up enough to actually be able to play multiplayer.
0: <laughs> right, and I think even if I was not putting the the computer's AI to the the roof on the um uh, like on the art levels, uh, I, I felt in some campaigns that I fell multiple times. That you know, you encounter a moment where you feel that you're good in the game, or like you're let's quote unquote say winning this uh this match and then your opponent does something that throw you off and destroy mm-hmm. the lack of strategy that you had. And to start exploring that I realized that I'll have to go into the deep section of YouTube, try to find <laughs> uh like strategy guy and things alike where you spend three hours watching YouTube videos for and I say three hours for like three videos at most or two videos because those videos are quite lengthy yeah. and and then not went there yet but sometimes my youtube recommendations are <laughs> kind of slowly popping those up and i'm like tempted to start watching those uh, yeah. maybe i'll do but but yeah so it is nice after literally Nearly a decade of me saying every couple of months, I really wish I could have something to play Age of Empire 2, uh, that now I can do that, uh, and when I have a rush that I want to play it, I just open my Lenovo ThinkPad laptop, play it for five to six hours, close it, and go back onto my, uh, merry life. Okay, next up in my list of honorable mention, uh, this is the one I entered in the last episode, uh, because I was playing it, Literally, when we were recording uh, and preparing for the 2020 episode, and for once I followed the Nix rule of not including a game <laughs> I played in the month of November or December, uh, to not have recency bias. And even while thinking about it today, I strongly suggest that if you have a PS4 and you haven't played it, you should strongly play marvel's spider-man and uh especially now that you can get the deluxe edition for pretty cheap you can also get the the city that never sleeps dlc which contains uh three four three episodes they call it episode one two three but more or less it's uh, the whole story in three different dlcs uh, because when it was released if you bought it at launch uh and after the release of the dlc they, you had to wait a couple of weeks or a couple of months to get each episode's and uh it is, I think, the best argument I can say to you that it is a really good game. It is a game that I've completed fully. Uh, I think I'm looking at here. Yeah, it's not only beaten. I consider to, for it myself that it is completed. So it is an open world game where you're more or less Peter Parker playing Spider-Man in a different universe from the MCU universe. You'll see it's a, a bit of an older uh, Peter Parker than compared to the Peter Parker we see with the Holland in the movies. Uh, but long story short, you go through the typical Spider-Man things. You have missions to do around New York. Uh, if you... Like just being Spider-Man around this big city like New York, I think the graphics and the quality of emulation of New York itself is amazing. Even on a base PS4, uh, I strongly suggest to go on uh, our... Why am I thinking big, big of their name on uh, their DF? I'll say DF because I'm blinking what it digital means. Digital Foundry. Thank you. I was just thinking about Daring Fireball. Yeah. I was like, no, that's not the right one. But if you go on Digital Foundry, they also have multiple videos about the performance of that game and the quality of the rendering of the New York City, depending on which console or PC. No, which console you get. Uh, I don't think it ever got on PC, but I might, my memory Ooh, might be I failing. I think
1: it's rumored to be coming to PC
0: yeah check. but i i recall it would, i recall one of the videos that were amazing is the the reflection the way i yes. guess it's more the ps4 and even even the ps5 running this game and especially with the new edition which is uh marvel spider-man miles morales i yes. didn't think know the name but i think it's that uh, which is considered by a lot of people that are lucky enough to have a ps5 and have played it to be kind of a 1.5 game not a full New version of this game. Uh, but if you want, if you've watched Sony, uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, you will know, um, the Miles Morales character that was also a kind of one of those, uh, person, uh, representing Spider-Man. And it, it is their journey and how it mixed with, uh, the Peter Parker that you have in Marvel Spider-Man. And it seems to be even better at how it, uh, renders New York City, uh, than, uh, Marvel Spider-Man. So yes. This is the game I was referring to when I was saying if I want to if I were ever to buy a PS if I were to buy a PS5 this year which I'm not it was one of my top list game to play literally instantly after getting one <laughs> because I loved Marvel Spider-Man so so much um and again I felt that because you know in those games you have a lot of side quests or a lot of like geocaching you need to find things in the city or take pictures for example and I felt that this was so fun and not even if they're more or less the same type of side quests. Yeah, you we have, you have maybe four or five different types of side quests. I felt that it was so fun and engaging. And I liked the, I liked the game so much that I was incentivized to just continue playing those side quests after completing the main quest. And again, it's an open world game and I felt that. It was enough in my face that you couldn't, you're not required to do the main quest right away, that you could go maybe spend half a day just do side quests and you don't feel, uh, progression loss, if you see what I mean. Like you feel that you can do a small detour, do side quests and make sure that your game progress is not a big spike because you did like 60 percent 70 percent of the of the game by just just focusing on the main quest and now you're like burdened with doing the side quests one after the other and that also applies to this that city never sleeps dlcs Uh, i think the last one after literally playing this game for a month i was quite tired of doing that and again i literally played it intensively for a month if i look at the date here i've added it on uh november 26 2020 and i completed it oh i beaten the last uh dlc so episode 3 on december 22nd and all the rest is completed and if i recall correctly uh in uh, the city that never sleeps dlc episode 3 i think i have one or two side quests complete for it to be considered completed in my book um so to me this is literally uh this is one of the games on the ps4 or as a sony exclusive i should say uh that should be on your list of games and is maybe less uh, less jarring as compared to what we discussed in last year's episode with the last of us part (laughs) two uh i i think this should be for sure even if you don't like uh if you don't like uh marvel characters or like more those type this universe i think you should add it because it's a great open world adventure game uh, and again, I was discussing about that with one of my colleagues that I mentioned that bought the PS5 from somebody else and it's first Sony console, I think, in 10, 15 years. And it go, I don't think this one is included in the PS5 classic console. I forgot the name of the bundle that Sony released, which uh, is more like yeah. the, the...
1: I think it's the- not in it because they released Spider-Man Remastered for PS5 and they want people to buy it.
0: <laughs> right. But again, to me... Even if it's not included, that should be one of the adjacent game to that bundle. If you're new to Sony consoles in a recent year and you want to play great, amazing games that were exclusives to the PS4 and you have a PS5 now and you didn't have any console before, you should put it to your list. And I won't lie, that will be my number one for this year. Just, again, I'm not making a ranking because I'll conclude with my next game right after that. So before talking about my last game, I want to just quickly mention that I also played Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Um, And again, it's it's a bit open-world-y. If you do the main quest, you then start opening different worlds, different planets you can explore and things alike. Um, But I realized I didn't really hook into the the game story too much also it's an ea game so it was full of bugs so that was (laughs) not helping either but i also felt that even if i was not playing like i think i was playing it normal or normal plus uh for the experience level and i felt that a lot of the uh control of the button button smashing you need to do to get your combos were really like add like precise timing even yep. for a level that i considered that was not too high for the level i've chosen so th- this is something that i start to despise after maybe 10 <laughs> hours of play playtime. that i felt that you really have to have precise uh input and i was not sure if it was because the game requires it or it was bug so the game engine would slow down and it would fuck at it. Okay, so it is intentional. So yeah, the no.
1: reason it's like that is because at a high level, that game is trying to be a Star Wars Dark Souls game. And Dark Souls is very much like that.
0: Mm, right. Isn't it the game that that you mentioned in previous episode that the, it starts with a big boss that nobody was able to complete, except if you had the timing correct?
1: Uh. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that was two years ago on the Game of the Year episode. It was right. my Game of the Year.
0: <laughs> right. Uh, I see again uh, so I think I've played maybe like again I started in January a bit after the holiday season and I kind of left it into like I'll revisit this game later and now I was preparing for this episode I was like you know what I think it's time to possibly revisit it soon so that might be on my list of games I will revisit this uh, holiday season okay last but not least Luigi Mansion 3 It's an old game on the Switch. Uh, It is one of the games that Tony bought on his Switch, I think, years ago, that he was like, you need to play it because um, it is pretty good. And it was, I think, the way I recall it, I never played Luigi Mansion 1, which was on GameCube. Mm -hmm. But I recall it was a classic GameCube game, meaning that if you have a GameCube and you never played that game, like, what are you doing, more or less? Like, you needed to play Luigi Mansion. I haven't played it. Yeah, but you're you, so I'm not surprised by that. But, uh, and then I heard that the Mention 2 was not that great. Uh, but, and I, I know I based my opinion also on what Tony was saying about those games. And then we played uh, Luigi Mansion 3 and it was really, really fun. Again, it's not really hard. Uh, it's really made for kids. Uh, and it was really, but again, even if it was not really hard, I think that the storyline was really fun and joyful. And the fact that, the play twist on luigi's being the main character is he's a bit dumb like he's kind of always afraid of everything and he's not unsure about himself but in the end like he powers through it and all that fun stuff but if you have a switch and you just want kind of a a 3d platformer because it's kind of 3d ish uh because there's a lot of um hidden location that you need to like either uh, suck up a, a, a blind somewhere or things like to find hidden passage inside this uh, mansion and things alike but it's not fully open world uh, so uh, it's pretty neat again one of the one of the games that i when i decided to pick it up again uh because i think i, I like i mentioned in the opening i started it and then i paused it and then I said, I want to finish this game. And I literally finished it in a couple of days because I was like really hooked into the storyline. Again, not so hard. Same types of mechanics. Again, you have a vacuum cleaner. You more or less vacuum shit, including ghosts. Uh, and overall, not so hard. But again, if you want to spend a couple of days having a fun with a different type of platformer where it's not Mario as the main character and it's Luigi, uh, it, is, it would be my number two for this year i guess i kind of made my honorable mention in my top three at the same time but that's kind of what i wanted to say for uh this so i guess for the rest of the episode i'll let you the mic because as mentioned 2021 was pretty light on gaming for me
1: yeah uh, before i do that um my neighbor upstairs is using power tools on the <laughs> on the porch right outside my window, so I have no idea how much that will come through after noise reduction and stuff like that, but I'm sorry if you're <laughs> listening to this and it sounds horrible. can't do anything about it. Uh, with that said, uh, my honorable mentions. Uh, there is a game that if it qualified to be ranked this year, it would be my number one. However, it does not qualify. Do you have Uh-oh. a guess as to what it is?
0: okay why is the reason that it's unqualified is it because you played it recently or
1: so uh, usually when I rank a game one year I don't allow myself to re-rank it a future year because I've already sort of taken it into consideration a past year
0: oh so it's a game you played in the past yes hmm Grand Turismo 2.
1: No, that was last year. Uh, we had it in honorable mentions last year. I mean, it, it oh. could it could be in the list every year because it's fantastic. Right,
0: but, but I thought you played it a lot again this year. Uh,
1: kind of, yeah, actually, I, I guess. Okay, but like I <laughs> so that
0: so my my bet was my guess was not that bad. Then. No,
1: okay, so we've done. Uh, is it one and a half episodes about this game before um i'll just say it it's apex legends apex legends is unquestionably my most played game this year i've played it for nine months out of the whole year i completed two paid season passes i unfortunately do not have my uh game count calculated i thought i did but i did not so i will go check it right now on my website
0: uh um (laughs) Okay, while you do that, maybe can you explain why you don't want to possibly re-rank it? Because now that you mention it, I would be okay to diverge from a quote-unquote set of rules because that to me would be one of the good examples where you revisited this game this year and find found a new passion, a new interest in it that could be worth reconsidering where you rank it in the past.
1: So I've played close to like 500 games of Battle Royale this year and and like 300 games of arenas uh, wow. throughout the year. um, So yeah, I, I've played this game a lot and I think uh, this is kind of the thing where like when I made my rules, I didn't really think about games as a service into how I was factoring this into the thing because the thing about Apex Legends and the reason I want to praise it on this episode is Respawn is killing the seasonal model in terms of like they are executing better than anyone else i can know of in the business right now at making seasons that make you want to come back every season and it worked because i played it for nine months out of the year right uh they are doing a killer job their weapon design is amazing uh so this year they started Uh, basically, like for people who don't know, Apex Legends is based on the Titanfall series, and Titanfall was a first-person shooter that had basically all the weapons that are in Apex Legends, and this year they finally finished porting over all of the uh, Titanfall weapons into Apex Legends, so now they're designing new weapons, and the way they're coming up with these new weapons is ...doing crazy shit that no other Battle Royale game is doing. Uh, So they made the Rampage uh, gun this year, which is really interesting. It's a gun that shoots very slowly by default. But if you have a frag grenade, I believe, on hand as an item, you can charge it into the weapon and it shoots like twice as fast uh it has higher accuracy and all that stuff so it just turns your items into resources that can be expended as a weapon and that's a really cool idea that you don't really see uh i think the latest season weapon which i don't remember the name of because i'm not playing this season uh is a dual ammo type so you can pick up two different colors of ammo for the weapon and uh it's just more versatile in that way huh Uh, And they're just playing around with these crazy ideas, but they're not not limited to that. So the maps also change every season. Uh, There's at least one big uh, new map uh, point of interest that changes every season on at least one map. So while the map design is very good in Apex Legends to begin with, it changes over time and you have to sort of learn new things. It's not just like you have this legacy skill of I've played this map for five years, and now I'm the best on this map, uh, you you do actually still have to adapt to things. And sometimes they have events where you can play the original version of the map and see how far it's come. And that was really interesting. Uh, They were doing the game's anniversary event and you could play the original map on the original design. And it was very different from how it plays today. Uh, And in many ways, it's better today because it has a lot of stuff that was bullshit patched out. Uh, So it's really cool. I think respawn is just doing a phenomenal job and i think one of the things that they do really really well is if you are on the lower half of the rank ladder they optimize for fun above everything you will have fun if you are not very good at apex legends most of the time you play uh, i think there are valid concerns mm. if you're a higher end player or competitive player uh, they have been very slow to react to uh, balance issues and stuff like that on the high end low end doesn't matter. It's just tons of fun all the time and I love it because of that. And I really just encourage like even if you're not a fan of Battle Royale, first of all, Arena's exists now which just makes you uh which just gives you this 3v3 competitive multiplayer deathmatch game you can play uh with the same guns and the same stuff and it's fantastic. I I mean, I played half the time in that mode. Uh so I I don't know, it's just I, I can't recommend this game enough. The heroes are really cool. Uh, they keep coming out with a, a new character every season, and they all have fairly unique abilities that make you want to play a good chunk of them. Uh, so, and uh, the thing that I did to get all of them is you can buy this like $60 thing, which basically just gives you all but the last two characters. And then if you just play a whole season, you're going to have enough currency to buy like three characters uh, just from playing through the season so it's kind of stupid not to play this game if you're a fan of first person shooters and i highly recommend revisiting it uh, regularly if you ever see something in a trailer that catches your eye because that's the other thing is unfortunately if you see something you've got to take advantage of it while it's there because it's going to be gone in three months uh so that's the downside but uh and honestly it did keep me playing the game more than i should have because I just wanted to milk this content while it was there. Uh, so the, that's the 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 downside of this approach. But otherwise, this game is ton of, tons of fun. And I think if you played it around launch like me and you thought this is a great game, but not great enough to take my attention away from other games, uh, it's gotten really fucking good, man. And uh, I give this a five star rating. <laughs> nice, nice.
0: Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Is that the game we played together again this year, or my memory is fading? Yeah, we, because we I played re- during the
1: Christmas event last year.
0: Right, because I recall that, again, me picking it up is, I would more or less say that if you're into Battle Royale game, and I don't know if there's a new one that got released since then. Not really. But that should be the one you pl- should be playing. Yeah. If you want to experience Battle Royale game, I know we enjoy uh, Call of Duty a lot uh, in the past recent years, but this is better. Yep. And that should be your first one you try.
1: It's also huge in Japan, which is really weird for a Western game, especially a first-person shooter, to be doing well in Japan. Like That is rare, but hmm. Respawn has really nailed it to the point that the Japanese uh the japanese audience not just the japanese fps audience but japanese audience as a whole is really into apex and every time there's a patch and they change a gun it's trending in japan because everybody plays the fuck out of this game and it's great uh it's really rare that i have the chance to play an fps that my friends in japan and i can actually talk about because they are also playing it but everyone's playing apex so it's really cool to have that kind of uh cross-cultural exchange for once nice uh next game is really funny in context of i i mean i didn't intentionally put it after this uh after apex legends but it's kind of the father of online gaming on consoles so it's kind of funny in juxtaposition and that is fantasy star online episode one and two which i played on the gamecube Uh, this is a game I've wanted to play for 20 years, and I finally got to play it this year. It cost me a lot of money to get to play it, because these copies are not cheap on eBay. Uh, it cost me like $110 to get a Ooh. GameCube
0: game. Shit, that's expensive.
1: Yeah, but it was worth every penny for me. Uh, this is a game that, like again, like I said, I've waited 20 years to play this seriously, because the only way I had to play it before is I had a friend who would come over, and we would play it in local multiplayer, and like 240p image or i guess 480i image a quarter of that is tiny and you can't really see what you're doing and it's kind of not the best way to play what is supposed to be an online game Uh, so now i actually got to play it on a private server on my modded wii and it was really cool there's always people online even though it's a 20 year old mmorpg that is only available on private servers right now it's cool uh that it's being preserved
0: Right, that that was my main first question. Like, how the fuck is it still online, but it is private servers?
1: Yeah, they've made private servers for Dreamcast, GameCube, and uh, PC, which are the nice. three places where it exists. The reason it's in my honorable mentions, like, this game means a ton to me, and it is, like, if you look at screenshots of Fantasy Star Online, like, that is the aesthetic I love in video games. It's a very Y2K futuristic-looking game Uh, that is just, like, destiny is the closest that sci-fi has gotten uh for me uh, to what i like about pso to some degree and i think like it's also been a huge influence on woof which is my artist friend's work and that is now i'm realizing like that's why i like woof stuff is because so much of it is influenced by the color palettes and the uh design language of pso and stuff like that so like for me it was a really cool experience to finally get to play this game i haven't finished it yet it's very i'm very close to having finished it i just i haven't had the time to do it yet um but it's really interesting to see like this is the first console online multiplayer game that was ever released like at least a console that had built-in uh networking functionality as opposed to like uh snes stuff that had external modems you could hook up to it and they nailed so much of the mechanics of getting multiplayer lobbies and stuff working when they had no reference to work on. And they invented the rule book for online multiplayer on consoles for literally 20 years. Uh, there are games shipping today that have less reliable multiplayer features than PSO did 20 years ago. Uh, So for me, someone who really likes multiplayer gaming and uh, pays attention to the history of that, it it was hugely fun to see how they did it back then and how little has changed in some ways and how a lot has changed in the in the way that, uh, like, things have evolved and all of that stuff. It's also hugely important to just local multiplayer gaming as well, because a lot of m- multiplayer Wi-Fi games on the DS uh, that were using local multiplayer were directly modeling themselves off of PSO as well. So stuff like Dragon Quest uh, IX, uh, the whole Monster Hunter series, like, all-, all of those games would probably not exist if PSO hadn't, like, built this base formula to some degree of... Uh, cooperative multiplayer and four-player parties with your friends uh, and building the UI around that and how that's represented. Like, you still see the influences of that today in most multiplayer games. And I think that's fascinating and that's why I wanted to play it so much. And it's also just a great game. However, it is very hard to recommend to modern gamers because the combat is, like, extremely clunky. Like, you thought the combat in uh, Jedi Fallen Order was bad? No, it's, like, 10 times worse than that. Uh, So it's, like... It's extremely clunky. I put up with it because I played the game before. I, I knew what to expect. Otherwise, you should just go play PSO2. Uh, PSO2 has much more uh, standard combat and street play, so you don't really have to worry about that. It's on PC, PS4, uh, Switch via streaming if you're in Japan, and uh, Xbox, I guess. Uh, so, P- PSO2 has a lot of the same ideas as PSO1, they're just done in a much more modern formula, and I can recommend that to people, and I have played mm. that for hundreds and hundreds of hours as well, so, uh, I can say it's fun, uh, but, uh, g- getting to experience PSO Episode 1 and 2 this year, uh, was a big highlight. I want to mention one VR game uh, very
0: quickly Ooh, and then I'll true. go to
1: my big disappointment Uh, because I <laughs> haven't played very many VR games this year, but I played one that was fantastic. It's just not fantastic enough to break into my ranking this year. And that is Wipeout Omega Collection, which I got for free through uh, PlayStation Plus. This is a collection of three Wipeout futuristic racing gamers, uh, racing gamers, racing games from the PS3 and the PSP that were ported to PS4 and were given a VR patch. And Uh this is absolutely fantastic. Uh, I played this a lot during my lunch break when I was still working at home. I would just pop on the headset for my lunch hour and go run around the track and then stop doing it. And I think it's really great. Uh, If you like high-speed racing games and you are not that affected by motion sickness, uh, you should definitely check it out. I think it's a fantastic game. Uh, I think you can also move the camera outside the vehicle if you just want to uh, see it in the third person. If you get too sick, do it in first-person view. I personally don't have that issue. So I just play in first person all the time and I love it. Uh, but yeah, it's really cool. It's very different from Gran Turismo Sport in VR, obviously. Uh, but it's it's interesting. Like I, I'm a big F-Zero fan and I would kill to have F-Zero GX in VR because that is ultimately the futuristic racing game I like the most. But uh, Wipeout Omega, Omega Collection is the closest I'm going to get for that uh, for a little while. So we'll stick with that.
0: I have a quick uh, random question since we're talking about VR. Uh, and do you feel that more the the more you play VR games, the uh, like w- what's your tolerance for motion sickness? Is it? Do you feel it's improving? Do you feel it's degrading?
1: I've it's- never had motion sickness issues in VR, so I don't know. But I have oh, heard a lot of okay. people complain about specifically those games, which is why I'm singling it out.
0: Okay, uh, I forgot about that small detail. The reason I bring it up is last time I went to my car mechanic, he was telling me that he bought more or less uh, I think. An Oculus? I forgot. the yeah. But he's more or less making a, a, a race sim set up mm. at his place with an Oculus, and we were talking about that, and he was saying that he's playing a lot. So I was like, "Hey, I was motion sickness because I recall when I played Gran Turismo VR, it was fun, it was really nice, but man, that kicked in quite fast, especially when you were supposed to feel G's and you're <laughs> not feeling those G's. Only your eyes are looking are like Lily 45 degrees at an angle in a turn and you're not feeling those forces on your body and you more or less told me it's like yeah at first it was bad but the more i played the more i got used to it
1: yeah and i i can imagine that you'd probably have those those kinds of issues in wipe as well if you were particularly affected by that because of mm-hmm. how extreme the drifting is and all of that stuff uh i see i see and it's low gravity and all of that stuff it's it's a really fun game. Uh, I recommend it even if you're not playing in VR, though I think that the VR mode is a huge reason to check this game out. And a lot of people have it for free because it was in PS Plus. Uh, so that's cool. Okay, my disappointment of the year is going to be really funny after what we said on last year's episode. Uh, last year, I tried to kind of defend Gran Turismo 3 uh and say that it was uh, pr- supposed to be like a good game on paper and then i played it this year and no finally that game is no no good uh so the the main reason gran turismo 3 falls on its face is because of the comparison with gran turismo 2 so in gran turismo 2 was really interesting and i have a whole essay in the works about the economy in gran turismo games over time uh which is uh you get prize cars basically every race uh, instead of every event in Gran Turismo 2 when you're doing optional events. And what this means in practice is you will get all of the cars to beat the game just from playing the game. You don't actually need to buy anything, uh, which is sort of a two, uh, double-sided sword, right? Or a right. double-edged sword. Where it's cool that you don't actually have to worry about buying any cars to beat the game because you can just coast on those cars. And it's an enjoyable experience if you just play Gran Turismo using those vehicles that you win from events to beat the game. Like there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is part of the joy in Gran Turismo too that you want people to experience is also actively making choices about what uh, cars they're buying and uh, developing a relationship with those cars that is unique that other players playing Gran Turismo don't necessarily have with those cars. And when you're being given all of the cars on a silver platter by beating the race, you are sort of giving people the path of least resistance. The good thing about this approach is that if you're someone with very little time and you want to do a playthrough of Gran Turismo 2, you don't really have to work hard for it. Uh, It's one of the easiest playthroughs in the Gran Turismo series now that I've played most of them in the last two years. right? Um, But Gran Turismo 3, I think they sort of noticed the issue with Gran Turismo 2 and they tried to fix it, but they fixed it the wrong way. Uh, And The way they fixed it is uh, with major economic balance issues. Uh, So there are no used cars in Gran Turismo 3. There are only new cars. So when you buy your starting vehicle, they are overall weaker and more expensive than uh, your starter cars in Gran Turismo 2. And you are going to get very limited mileage out of these cars. The early game prize cars mostly consist of other starter cars. They should have been cars that have comparable performance to the used cars that you would have had in Gran Turismo 1, so that immediately like after you win your first one or two races, you're sort of back where you were in Gran Turismo 2 balance-wise, and you can just use those cars and gradually grind out the events. Unfortunately, because they're starters, you're just stuck with another garbage vehicle that can't do much. And you sort of just have to sell it for money. A lot of the early game prize cars are also FR drivetrain starter cars. Which sucks because a third of the events in the early game are drivetrain challenges. (laughs) Which means you can't actually (laughs) use those cars for anything. Uh, So that is a massive oversight. Uh, And in practice what that means is you have this really rough, really shitty early game grind to get out of beginner league. Uh, This is one of the things about how Gran Turismo 3 is structured is it has multiple difficulty leagues. And one of the issues with this design is they recycle a lot of events in each tier. So you're going to do like four FR challenges instead of one. And it really sucks because you feel like you're just doing the same shit over and over again. Uh, So it feels very, very repetitive. Also, fun fact, the Japanese release of Gran Turismo 3 had even worse prize payouts in in events than the international versions. And they tried to patch it to make it less grindy. No, it still sucks. Sorry. Oh. (laughs) so uh like yeah uh, everything i said previously about when i was trying to defend gran turismo 3 is still true like on paper this is supposed to be a very good game the problem is when you actually play it and you run into the game's economy like the early game is so bad that i can't recommend it to anyone uh just skip ahead and go play gran turismo 4 it's way better Uh, right and i'm like like i'm saying i'm working on an essay where i sort of go over how Prize car structure and economy has evolved in all Gran Turismo games over time. Gran Turismo 5 Prologue, funnily enough, is kind of an alternative take on what Gran Turismo 3 should have been, and it's way better. Uh, Hmm. So look for that sometime in 2022. Uh, But yeah, I've become like obsessed with Gran Turismo economy now, so it's really fucked me up to play this game this
0: year. (laughs) This this reminds me what would you say? This reminds me. Is the new Grand out already? Or did I blank this out of my memory? 7
1: comes out in March.
0: Oh, it's in March. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we still have time. Yep. And it's coming. It's ending they now that it's going to be on PS4 too, right? Yes, it's cross-gen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Are you ready for my number three?
1: Yes, I am. Okay. My number three game is not technically a game. It's a ROM hack.
0: Okay.
1: It is Pokemon Blue Kaizo, which is a rom-hack of Pokemon Blue released on the original Game Boy. It was released in 2014 by Sinister Hooded Figure. Uh, I think I mentioned on the show previously that I'm not really a fan of the design philosophy behind modern Pokemon games, especially starting with Sun and Moon.
0: But wait a second, isn't it a mod you mentioned too in the past? Because the name rings a bell.
1: I mean, I mentioned it to you, but I don't think I mentioned Uh, it on the show.
0: Possibly that's why. Yeah.
1: So yeah, I have a lot of emotional attachment to the Pokemon IP. Like I think most people our age do. Uh, It's just something we grew up with and uh, it continues to be relevant. I was talking to my friend who works at the daycare at the English school here and like kids are still way into Pokemon and all that Mm -hmm. stuff, but I just can't stand the modern games. Uh, So uh, in the last year, I tried to do a bunch of different things to engage with Pokemon in different ways than playing the mainline games. Uh, so one of the ways I did that is I tried playing the card game again for the first time in, I don't even know, tw- uh, 25 20 years. years? Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Uh, and I had a great time, uh, although I was playing the online client and I think tabletop would probably be more fun except, you know, Pokemon cards in paper in 2021. Good luck. Uh, so that's fun. Uh, I tried watching uh, Pokemon Twilight Wings, which was a really good uh, web anime series based on Sword and Shield, which despite not liking the gameplay of Sword and Shield, I think, well, okay, the story is flawed in Sword and Shield as well, but it is interesting in the uh, way it was delivered through the uh, anime series. And a lot of friends recommended that highly and said it was really well animated. And I have to agree. Uh, I know you watched that too.
0: Yes, and also watch uh, Pokemon Journeys, which I greatly enjoyed.
1: I don't know what that is, but I'll have to check it out. (laughs) And ultimately, I think that discovering the world of Pokemon ROM hacks really rejuvenated my excitement for playing older Pokemon games in a different way. So if you know the word Kaizo at all, you probably learned it from Kaizo Mario World. It is a famous Japanese uh, ROM hack of Super Mario World that someone made on Niko Nico, Nico uh, Doga to troll their friend with. And then they posted the video of their friend playing it and being infuriated online <laughs> alongside the ROM. And eventually, uh, Western Let's Players uh, discovered it and popularized it. They called it Asshole Mario, uh, <laughs> which is not wrong. Um, but the word Kaizo actually just means rearranged. Uh, like... Uh, realistically if kaizo mario world wasn't already an established thing uh super mario world could have been called kaizo mario right it's it just means rearranged as in i rearranged these levels uh right. but in the west it sort of took a different meaning which is intentionally punishing and difficult hacks and user created levels for various games including uh mario maker there's a the whole world of mario maker kaizo levels which are this very specific kind of level design that you see a lot of in mario maker So, naturally, you can assume that Pokémon Blue Kaizo is an intentionally punishing version of Pokémon Blue, and it is really well done.
0: Huh. Okay.
1: So, I'm going to list through a bunch of the changes in this ROM hack, and you can react accordingly uh, to the things that you think are cool. So, all 151 Pokémon are obtainable through wild encounters or evolution. Trade evolutions have been converted to level-up evolutions. So if you're playing by yourself and you don't have a link cable, you can just have them level up as usual. Enemy trainers have different teams with better type coverage and better movesets. Hmm. The levels at which Pokemon learn moves and evolve have been changed to make it easier to keep up with enemy Pokemon. Obviously, if the enemy Pokemon have fucked up movesets, you need to somehow be able to deal with it. And if you only have like Harden, like a Metapod, uh, good (laughs)
0: luck.
1: (laughs) um maps are modified to be more frustrating to navigate make trainers harder or impossible to avoid and generally increase wild encounter frequency uh one of the great examples from this is uh if you remember seraline city which is where the misty gym is if you go up north there's like this whole path you can go all the way to bill's house uh where you talk to him and the pc becomes bill's pc and stuff like that uh well, before you used to just be able to turn around on that route and get out of there. Uh, now there's a ledge uh, that you have to jump off. So you have to beat all the trainers to be able to go back down, which Ooh. means you can't heal between the trainers. So you have to basically like win them all or black out and then lose half your money, uh, which does increase the difficulty. I can attest to this, uh, but there are a lot of routes like this. Uh, revive items can only be used outside of battle so if a pokemon dies mid-battle you can't do anything uh i think later hacks by this person just disables all items in battle i think (laughs) uh and i think the last one that is kind of a spoiler but not that much is that the elite four have pokemon above level 100 while you are stuck at the level 100 cap
0: what above 100
1: they go all the way up to
0: 125
1: what yeah which is something that has always been in the game by the way it's like i remember doing it with my game shark in uh in pokemon gold like you can actually just set the level of pokemon up to 255 it's just when you level up it wraps around to 100 like it Uh, does like an integer overflow and then it goes all the way up to 100 Uh, but nothing prevents you from putting them on the enemy team because the enemy team pokemon never level up uh so that's a thing they can do Uh, And it's actually kind of fascinating what the approach to difficulty balancing in this game has been. So moves that were too good were either removed from movesets altogether, or they were pushed back to a much, much higher level. So sometimes attacks that are too good at the early game are pushed until, let's say, level 40 or level 50, or actually late game in this game goes all the way up to 100 because you're going to be facing 125 Pokemon at the end. Uh, So they can get pushed fairly late um, Pokemon that are too good, uh, in Gen 1's case, this is psychic types, are made only available late in the game, so you can't cheese your way through the game, uh, I believe there are even some psychic types that you can't get until after you go to the Mewtwo cave, after you've beaten the game, right, because they really don't want you to use these Pokemon to get an easy way through the game, which is really funny, uh, and I think the other thing that's really fascinating about this game, and I think that's the thing I appreciate the most about the game, is it tests not only your knowledge and mastery of base Pokemon battle mechanics, but even Gen 1 specific bugs and exploits. Uh, I did not realize back when I was a kid, when, when I was playing these games, these games were janky as fuck. <laughs> uh,
0: this is still the case. Like, Tony is playing the new uh, Diamond and... Oh, yeah. Is BDSP that? is a shit show. Yes. It's horrible. <laughs>
1: um. But uh, Gen 1 is pretty busted, and there are lots of bugs and exploits that you kind of have to rely on to beat this game. And this is how they test you, is, yeah, you can beat level 125 Pokemon with level 100 Pokemon, you just have to know what the bugs are to exploit them to actually get to win. Oh, really? Oh my goodness. And it's not, like, it's not bugs in the case of, like, I use this bug to walk through the wall and skip this trainer. Like, that's not what I mean. I mean, there are bugs that you can use in battle to, uh, let's say, stack more boosts than you're supposed to, to your stats. And you can use that to actually, like, you're still doing the battle and winning the battle. You're just doing it by exploiting the bug with the boosting, uh, the stat boosting moves uh, in the game and stuff like that. So it's really cool. Uh, Speaking about my personal experience with it. uh, So there are lots of people in the Pokemon community who do uh, Nuzlocke runs or special restriction runs. I'm just trying to beat this game standard, right? And I think it's suitably difficult, but not too hard in a standard playthrough. What I find fascinating is uh, I used to play Diamond, Pearl, Platinum competitively online. And that is where most of my mechanical proficiency with the battle system in Pokemon comes from. And if you just look at how the games have evolved since then, that's sort of when competitive Pokemon reached a, certain level of maturity and most other games just build off of the foundation that the gen 4 games had for example when uh, x and y came out i jumped back into competitive pokemon and the only real change i had to know about was mega evolutions now exist but the rest of the mechanics of pokemon battles was effectively the same as the gen 4 games that's not true with gen 1 gen 1 is fucking different man Uh, (laughs) so i was definitely like rushing and learning on the job like how is this different from what i know to be true in the pokemon world and it's been really interesting to learn about how janky and broken gen one games really were and ultimately it feels really refreshing to be playing a pokemon game that tests your mastery of the game's mechanics through the entire game. Usually with Pokemon, like if they test your mastery of mechanics at all, it's usually like in the weird third version that they ship, although they don't do that anymore. But it's usually like left to the post-game content in the third version of the game where uh, you can go to stuff like the Battle Tower and face off against Pokemon, uh, Pokemon trainers that are specifically made to challenge you in a way that the rest of the game does not. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you play multiplayer uh, against like really good people, and that's how you develop your your uh, your knowledge of these mechanics. But Otherwise, like in the main game, there's nothing really that requires that much effort to actually beat the game. Like you, it's kind of funny that like Pokemon games have been adding all of this stuff to make uh, the grinders really happy that they can see their EVs and their IVs and all of their hidden stats and stuff in game. Now it's like, cool, I don't have to reverse engineer my stats anymore, but you don't need that to beat the game. It's just there. Um, And in this game it actually matters you actually have to care and it's really funny and I, I don't know for it it's such a refreshing experience that I think if you like those old Pokemon games or even if you don't like because I, I don't I'm not even that big of a fan of Gen 1 Pokemon to be honest if you're just looking for a different way to experience these games and you want to be entertained by how stupid some of these things are uh, it's really funny and you should play it and I had a lot of fun playing it.
0: Nice. By the way, uh, so I guess because it's a ROM app, you played through an emulator?
1: Uh, no, actually I bought a, uh, a flash cart for my Game Boy to play this. So Ooh. I'm playing on the Game Boy Lite.
0: Nice. Nice. Okay, so you have the, the real experience. Yeah. Nice. Just like the old to, days. I need to find where my old Game Boy color is. I, I used to have the, uh, the the purple translucent one. Yeah, the atomic so was, purple one. Yeah, it was pretty neat. So i'm sure i don't have it with me so it's either at my parents place or with my brother so i need to find this are you ready for game number two yes because uh i I hope that uh, it's the only left field game i think the number three was pretty left field but it's pretty interesting Mm, i don't know
1: if you're expecting this honestly well i I don't know if you're expecting all of these but
0: no uh, not really i knowing you i'm I'm sure all of them are pretty left field for me but
1: uh, yeah yeah Well, okay, let's talk about an arcade game. Uh, This is Tetris, the Absolute Grandmaster 2+. It is a Tetris game developed by Eureka, published by Saikyo for the arcade and released in the year 2000. Uh, We've talked about TGM occasionally on the show before uh, because it's come up in various uh, cases, mainly because... Uh, the both Eureka and the Tetris company are sort of always in a weird war about whether or not they can make new TGM games or if people are allowed to post videos of TGM on the internet or whatever. Uh, mm. It's really fucked up. Wait, so,
0: wait a sec. Repeat the name. You said it's the Grandmaster...
1: Tetris The Absolute Dash The Grandmaster 2 Plus.
0: My goodness. It's like, like the iPhone Pro Max 13. Yes. It's,
1: this name is huge. People usually just call this game Tap, T-A-P. For okay. Tetris Absolute Plus, because it's different from TGM2, which is the non-plus version. I see. Um, but yeah, so in previous years, I've actually had the chance to play it a couple times in Japan, but ultimately, this game has never really been uh, available, or actually, this series has never really been available in a proper form uh, home release, and they've been trying. like Honestly, like every couple years, uh, Arika has either tweets about... We're trying to make a new arcade version, but we can't get the Tetris company to sign off on it. Or we're trying to make a home version of TGM, but we can't get the Tetris company to sign off on it. So it's like, it's very complicated to get a new TGM made because the Tetris company is very strict nowadays about how gameplay mechanics are implemented in Tetris games. And a lot of the things that make TGM fascinating do not comply with these rules. And these games were made before these rules were in place. So they can't really release a new TGM game as long as the Tetris company forces people to abide by the Tetris guideline, which is the legal document that says what a Tetris game actually is. Huh. Yeah. What also sucks is Eureka is an old Japanese company, and that means that they are very allergic to the idea of emulation and replication. So they have... Uh, anyone who has tried to create like a fan game recreation of TGM in the past has been hit with legal threats from Rika and they have actively gone out to emulators and said, please do not support our games in your emulators.
0: Oh, and
1: usually when people ask them about like, uh, Hey, you should make TGM available through uh, emulation because there is a large portion of people in the West who love your game and cannot play it. And all of the arcade cabinets that exist for this game only exist in California. Uh, they Their response to that is, cool, you should go out to California. <laughs> oh, really? Which I guess they realized sometime in 2020, maybe <laughs> telling people that in the middle of a global pandemic isn't a great idea. So wow. M- mysteriously, sometime in 2020, TGM-1 and TGM-2 Plus became emulatable in MAME again. I, I still don't know how this happened or why this happened, but that's my speculation as
0: to what happened. Well, wait, but like, the company would go to like, emulation developers and say, like, make sure our game doesn't run in your emulator?
1: Yeah, because of how arcade games work, you usually have to build support on a per board basis because each arcade game has their own board. Uh,
0: right, right, okay. So for
1: older games, you sort of don't really have a choice but to add specific support. And they're like, if you add this file to the source repository, you're going to be in big trouble. So usually people Uh, comply.
0: Okay, I see.
1: But yeah, anyway, uh, sometime in 2020, uh, they added support in MAME. I didn't know about this until early this year. So I missed out on like a year of TGM. Uh, What's also fascinating is you can play this game in multiplayer now over Fightcade because of this, which means rollback netcode, which means... You can play with your friends all over the world uh, if you want to play in versus or another mode. We'll discuss in a little bit. So another thing that happened a lot through uh, the last year, year, or the last two years, honestly, is I've been watching a lot of Tetris 99 and that made me want to get better at Tetris. And I think that I'm dangerously good at what is called guideline Tetris, which is like Tetris with the actual real Tetris rules in 2021. Uh, I'm dangerously good at those games for someone who doesn't really play it in a serious capacity. Like, I think I can blow people out in multiplayer easily just because I've played too many hours of Tetris, but I don't, <laughs> I, like, I don't practice Tetris. I don't know setups for competitive Tetris. I don't, I don't have any of the knowledge that serious Tetris players, in quotes, would have. I'm just good at playing the base game. Uh, But now that TGM 2 is out, and TGM is one of the most difficult Tetris games out there, I was like, okay, I'm going to start playing this regularly and tracking my improvement over time. So TGM is a score attack variant of Tetris. Uh, Because at the core TGM is an arcade game, credits can't take too long. Otherwise, they uh, limit how much money the cabinet is making. So this Tetris game has a level limit of 999 in master mode each time you drop a piece and every line you clear adds a level to your count, which gradually ramps up the difficulty over time. And uh, kind of like uh, music games, how many levels deep you make it, how high your score is and how quickly you accomplish that score is all factored into a grade that is given to you at the end of the session. Uh, so the scale goes from nine to one for- then after it's S1 to S9 then there's Master then there's Grandmaster Green and there's Grandmaster Orange Uh, by the way Grandmasters there are like single digits I think Grandmasters or maybe it's double digits now but in the world there are very few Grandmasters this is an absolute absolutely brutal difficulty curve that tops out at instant gravity which means the piece is already down at the bottom of the screen when it drops and three pieces per second what Yeah, so my adventure with normal normal mode did not take me very long to beat. I think it took me like a month to beat normal mode for the first time. Uh, It has a less strict difficulty curve, and it has a 300 level limit. Uh, And before I used to have like, I I used to die in like the last couple levels, and now I can consistently beat it every every time. Uh, Normal doesn't have grades, unlike anything. So if you're approaching TGM for the first time, you should probably play normal mode uh, TGM 1 normal mode like anybody can beat it if they've ever played Tetris before and TGM one uh, TGM 2 normal mode it's like if you're good at Tetris you're going to get it very quickly master mode is the main mode this is the one that is ranked and everything and uh, has the grades and is very difficult my current master mode high score at time of recording is a grade 3 I died at level 366 I didn't actually know the mechanical details of what level 366 meant until I actually looked it up. And apparently that means that my top speed is 4G, which means pieces go down four rows per frame <laughs> when I'm playing.
0: Four rows per frame?
1: Yes, which means each piece was moving on screen for a maximum of five frames when I died. What the F? And I still had two-thirds of the game left to go to actually beat level 999. So, yeah, so it's a very incremental thing uh, that you get to over time. And there is a guide on the Tetris wiki that actually like says, like, here are the goals you should be hitting in all three TGM games in order of difficulty if you actually want to eventually try to get as far as you can into the game. So there's another mode, which is even worse, (laughs) which is called TA Death Mode. Uh, The entire game is played with instant gravity, which means, again, the piece is already at the bottom of the well when it starts being movable. There are three grades in this mode. There's no grade. There's M if you get halfway through the game. And there's GM, which is you beat the (laughs) game and you completed some obscenely stupid challenge on top of it. It's really fucking hard. Uh, Uh I'm my next goal is apparently to get to level 100 in ta death mode i think my highest is like level 40 something because it has instant gravity and that's fucked up so yeah the single player uh part of tetris is extremely difficult but it's also a ton of fun and each game right now is taking me around seven minutes to play so i can grind on it a lot and just like and sometimes you just realize very early on that you fucked up your run and you just hit reset and you play again uh There are also very novel two-player modes in this game. Uh, So Versus is best-of-three competitive Tetris, except they're kind of like Smash. There are special items that can create obstacles or distractions on your opponent's playfield. They can clean up your playfield, or you can exchange playfields with your opponent, which is very nice. Uh, It plays very differently from Guideline Tetris Versus, which is what you're playing if you're playing Tetris 99 uh, generally. And then there's doubles mode, which is a mode that I only got to play once uh, with a friend in Japan when uh, the warehouse arcade was closing and I went with a friend. And doubles is a mode where you play cooperatively. There are two pieces moving on screen at once. One of them is player one's piece. The other one is player two's piece. And you just have to try to beat TGM normal mode with a 14 column wide play field Uh, and you have to coordinate and communicate with your partner to not fuck yourselves over by putting the same piece in the same place at the same time because that totally happens. Uh, So It's a very interesting and mind-breaking way to play Tetris if you uh, ever try it out, and I don't think it's in any other Tetris game, so it might be the only place where you can try it out. And of course, because it's on Fightcade, you can try this out online with uh, your friends if you want.
0: See that that mode sounds the the most fun one you describe <laughs> because the other ones I'm literally like flabbergasted like my goodness instant gravity I'm like I I cannot comprehend how you can work with this seriously so I might have to watch a couple of a live stream for this
1: yeah I or might put some it. links in the in the show notes to some showcases of the game of course videos of the game are hard to find because Arika takes them down mm. um but uh, if there is proof that they are running on official arcade hardware, they led them up, which is kind of stupid <laughs> uh but yeah, um th- that's how they are um so yeah that's that's what I had to say about uh t g m two plus It's a fantastic game i H- highly recommend it. It feels really weird to be putting Tetris on a game of the year list, although many people put Tetris effect on their list uh, a couple of years ago when that came out,
0: and you did, I think. Or was it a no.
1: moral mention? No, it was a Listener.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe
1: Richard had put it uh, yeah. as a game of the list contender. I think you're right. But yeah, I'm. Guideline Tetris is fine. In fact, there was a good ROM hack for uh, Tetris on the Game Boy this year that actually updates the game to have all of the Guideline Tetris stuff. Uh, and you can play it on real hardware. Uh, sometimes when I can't sleep, I play it on my Game Boy Lite. And it's really funny to see. Uh, to see a finally playable version of game boy Tetris, sorry game boy Tetris fans uh but yeah let's move on to the final game ooh drum roll. okay so uh this should not be super shocking to anyone who has been looking at my twitter recently
0: <laughs> okay
1: So my number one game is blaze blue central fiction, which is a 2d anime fighting game developed by arc system works for the arcade PS3, PS4, Xbox, 360, Xbox one, and PC. Wait, Xbox one. I don't think it's on Xbox one, uh, and PC in 2016. Uh, it is the fourth major version in the blaze blue series, which is a series of anime fighting games that came out in the year 2008. It was one of the first HD fighting games. Um, which is really interesting. And I think Blaze Blue is super interesting to fighting game fans in the context of the last five years of fighting games. Uh, for the last five years, fighting game developers have been doing everything in their power to reduce the amount of complexity and gameplay systems in their games and reduce the overall difficulty of execution in their games to attract and retain new players. And the weird thing about it is, I don't think there's any proof that that has worked. Uh, it turns out that like, that's not what attracts people to fighting games more so than what they thought. Um, and the way blaze blue sort of became this more accessible uh, fighting game. So I need to back up a bit. So the, the interesting thing about blaze blue is uh it was made in a period where uh arc system works had lost the rights to their own ip which is a weird thing um, okay it's it sort of they didn't realize they had signed away the rights to their own ip to sega sammy and when they broke up with sega sammy they tried to make a new guilty gear game which is their usual series and they were like fuck we don't own our characters anymore hmm that's a problem uh, Sounds so they, fun. they had to make up a new IP while they were trying to figure this out in court. Uh, so blaze blue is that new, uh, series. Uh, and yeah, they were trying to make the first HD fighting game and all of that stuff. They were also trying to lower their area of entry to fighting games in the process. And I think it did it very differently from how modern games are trying to do it. Uh, so they made cool looking characters that you could grow attached to either aesthetically, narratively through the story mode or through their unique gameplay mechanics. They have this, what seems like a very uh, straightforward uh, control scheme where they reorganized where the important, the most important moves of a character were distributed. Uh, so now all of the Most important character differentiating moves are on one single button, as opposed to traditional fighting games where they're like, I don't know, sometimes they're a quarter circle back and press B because we decided to put it there. It's a very important move, but nothing about where that move is in relation to all the other moves makes it seem like it would be very important. Uh, It included a lot of interactive tutorial exercises for each system mechanic and character specifics, and ultimately... It required only a tiny percentage of that knowledge to start being enjoyable to play. One of the great things about putting all of the important moves on the drive button is that if you don't know what the fuck you're doing, you can just mash the drive button and cool stuff will happen. And you're probably going to learn very quickly what you should be doing with the character. Um... So ultimately, I think it succeeded at lowering the barrier to entry. But unlike modern titles, where uh, modern titles are very much like, let's take all of the complicated thing out of the game entirely, they did not do this. And that means that it didn't come at the cost of the skill ceiling for intermediate and expert players or at the cost of player expression. Um What's actually fairly interesting is I played Guilty Gear Strive, which was the first Arc System Works game to ship with rollback netcode, or the first new Arc System Works game to ship with rollback netcode. And I was playing in uh, in the lower end of the ranked lobbies. And I realized that, uh, like, they have this 10-floor system, and then you get to heaven, which is where all the good players are. And all the way up to uh, floor 8, nobody was using any system mechanics consistently, which means it doesn't matter for beginners if you have a ton of system mechanics because most beginners and, honestly, most players aren't engaging with them at all. So the idea of removing all of your cool system mechanics that the top-end players like from the game is going to help beginner players, that does jack shit. It just hurts your, your biggest fans because they're not using the mechanics to begin with. And I I think that that was the uh the eye-opening moment for me as I was on floor 8 with other people who were playing this game and nobody was using any of the advanced mechanics in the game because they just were too new to the game to bother. And I think Blaze Blue manages that a lot better. Uh what's really interesting is that the success of blaze blue was huge in japanese arcades in the western community it didn't work because everyone is too spread out and it had delay based netcode which means you couldn't play comfortably with anyone which sucks uh i discovered the blaze blue series 10 years ago when i was in california for google io i played in an arcade and i fell in love with the game instantly when i got home i bought a ps3 version of the game and a stick and the game was fantastic back in the day but I only ever got to play it in single player because there was nobody online, or if there was somebody online, they were in Japan, and no fucking way you're going to play that person with delay based netcode. Uh, so I sort of stopped picking up subsequent uh, titles in the Blaze Blue series because I felt like I was paying sixty bucks for a game that I was only playing like maybe fifteen percent of what I should be playing, and and it didn't feel like a good deal to me, right? Mm-hmm. So earlier this year, after the release of guilty gears drive and it was a huge success because everybody could play this arc system game uh arc system works game online with other people and not have a painful time rumors started to come out that they were going to add rollback to their older titles so i basically said hmm i should probably start learning blaze blue for when this game comes out with rollback so i bought blaze blue central fiction on the ps4 and I started learning it, and there was someone in my uh, in my friend Marina's uh, Fighting Game Discord who was around my level, and we started playing it wi- weekly. Uh, and luckily, we had a good netplay connection, so we're just kind of training partners now, and we play every week, and it's fantastic. Well, last week, Arc System Works announced at uh, one of the first big offline tournaments since the start of the pandemic that both uh, Blue Central Fiction and Blaze Blue Cross Tag Battle, which is a completely different game from the rest of the Blaze Blue series, but it's still good in a different way. Uh, they're getting rollback patches in 2022. Ooh! In the case of Central Fiction, uh, it was only going to be coming out on PC uh, because PS4 version has PS3 co- crossplay, and that would mean updating the PS3 version too. So <laughs> they can't do that, uh, which kind of sucks, honestly. But whatever. But it is in an indefinite beta on Steam right now, so. I like this fighting game so much I bought a whole PC for it, uh, which is why I have this uh, this Lenovo Think Center up here uh, that is literally just like an arcade PC for me. And people are freaking out about BBCF now that they can actually play it. For the last week, there have been between 1,500 and 3,500 active players all day long. It never gets lower than that. Uh, you can play with most of them because rollback, rollback works. Uh, ranked mode is actively populated again, which was never really the case before. So finding matches around your level is even easier uh, than it was before. And of course, there are tons of new players like me checking out the game as well because they've never really gotten to play Blue Online against anyone before. So if you're a newbie, you don't have to fight experts. You can play with the tons of new newbies that are uh, playing the game. So for me, this is the game of the year because... It's still ultimately like the fighting game that feels the most satisfying to play to me. Uh, It just has this like slot machine pleasure center of my brain uh, firing on all cylinders the entire time I'm playing it. Like I can lose 50 games straight and doesn't matter because I just want to get back in and play some more, which is important because you're going to lose a lot in a fighting game, especially if you're new. Uh, It neatly addresses the two big topics in fighting game discourse over the last few years, which is you can... Lower the barrier to enjoyment while preserving a high degree of execution requirement and systems knowledge at higher levels of competition, which is great if you want the game to scale to a huge population of players. I'm working on an essay about... Well, actually, I'm not working on an essay. It's out already if you support me on Kofi. It's going to be posted by the time this episode is out. And it sort of explains, like, the biggest obstacle with the the barrier of entry to uh Blaze Blue is the community saying this game is really fucking hard when it's not. I can tell you I'm new to the game and I have a 35% win rate, which is pretty good. Uh it's actually like really easy to get into the game. It's got a lot of mechanics, which means that intermediate players are going to learn different mechanics and that has a weird form of counterplay where uh Like, some mechanics might be direct counters to other mechanics, uh, and you just gradually learn mechanics as you go along. You don't need to learn everything up front, uh, which is sometimes the case for other fighting games. And I don't know, I think it's masterfully done. It also demonstrates the bad netcode is holding back fighting games from reaching peaks of popularity they've never seen before. Uh, Prior to the uh, rollback patch in BBCF, the highest peak player count was... A thousand thirty-one. This was in 2017 when the Steam version came out. It was the first like couple hours that the game was out. The highest peak of players right now for Blaze Blue is 4733. Uh, before the rollback pa- batch, the average player count every month was 140. For almost a six-year-old game, now we're seeing averages like in the 2000s, which is nuts. Uh, now, now, of course, this is literally in the weeks following the the creation of the rollback patch. So it will go down because it always goes down. But the good news is since it's rollback, you can play with most of the people who are online anyway, which was not the case before. So even if the population goes down to the 140 player account that it was before, you're going to be able to play with at least half of those people, which is not what was the case before. So I don't know. I've been huge into fighting games this year because they are kind of the ultimate In uh, incrementally learning and getting better at something uh, and you get to play against another person and this one is just my favorite uh, and I'm just really 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 happy that we have rollback now Uh, but this game was going to be first even if the rollback patch hadn't come out Uh, I had put it high on my list before then Uh, it's just my favorite fighting game and this year I played a lot of fighting games and nothing dethroned this uh and it's just really cool that i finally get to play the game that i love with people for the first time because it was really weird that i had played this game ostensibly for 10 years and never actually played a real human until this year uh and it's really cool to finally be able to do
0: that nice so shall we move to the uh what's coming next for us uh i just want to uh
1: bring in a listener comment first uh
0: yes i forgot about that part yes we
1: had one listener write in saying that, uh, well, Richard wrote in to say that uh, the Outer Wilds DLC that came out in September is his game of the year. Uh, The Outer Wilds uh, was Richard's previous game of the year. I don't remember if it was last year or the year before though. I think it was last year. Um, And the Outer Wilds is kind of a space exploration game crossed with Majora's Mask, if you will. It is a time loop Hmm. game where you need to, take notes kind of like Majora's Mask and uh, explore things and get a sense for what you should be doing while also being a space exploration game, which is a really neat twist on the genre. And I've heard like lots of people had this as their game of the year, uh, whatever year it came out. And it seems like it was really well received. I'm a little bit curious about it, to be honest. Um, The DLC came out in September and I honestly haven't heard very much about it. Like, I think people were talking about it for a week and then uh, I was listening to podcasts with uh, YouTubers who were uh, starting to talk about their games of the year and nobody listed the DLC in there. And I don't know if that's just because they feel differently about how DLC should be considered into game of the year discussions, or if they just forgot that it existed, which is never a good sign. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so he wrote in to say that Uh, we didn't get any others, uh, but it's nice to see that our listeners have, very different game tastes and uh experiences to ours and that they continue to listen because sometimes i have weird taste sometimes sometimes okay now we can get into the the future of gaming in 2022 and honestly i don't have much to say because i don't really know what's going to happen in 2022 right
0: that is interesting um i'm wondering too on my side um There are a couple of things I know I want to do. Uh, A good example I mentioned since we did uh, the episode where you recommended games I should play on NL devices. I had a ghost trick in my list of eBay watches, Mm -hmm. but now it's available on iOS. So it's installed on my phone. Never played it. Hopefully at some point I'll play it but uh i think that's something that i that came to mind recently i was like oh yeah if there's some games i need to watch i uh, need to play there are some already some already like either that i bought or that are on my kind of uh, close to do list and this one is one of them especially uh, to follow our previous recommendation when you download uh, ios games like these where they're ported from consoles. Play them when they got released because uh, yeah. the future updates might not come and they might just crash in a later iOS version and you might be stuck with a bot- uh, game that is worthless now. So I'm going to have to do that. Um, I am eager to see if I will finally plug in into uh, Reto Thing X 5X, like you oh, bought. Nice. Or any other things because, um, uh, I guess by accident-ish, I kind of am collecting old consoles. So I do have, uh, my N64. Uh, my friend got rid of his old PS3. That is the old fat. So I have now two possibly broken, uh, PS3 fat, <laughs> uh, model in my house plus my PS3 slim, uh, or the first slim generation. And from the same friend again, uh, one of his friends was trying to get rid of an old PS2 setup, so I might have a PS2 setup coming at some point. Uh, I have to oh, kind of mine. Shit! Remind so that does me. that
1: mean we're going to get to play Gran Turismo 4 online together this
0: year? Uh, hmm, that is an interesting suggestion. Maybe we <laughs> should look into making it an Yeah, I would need to find a cheap uh, Ethernet adapter for the PS2 because I never I.
1: Ah, right, I forgot it wasn't internal for all of them. It's just the slims.
0: Yeah, I again, I haven't seen the the, the free PS2 I'm supposed to uh, to get. I think I have a, fo- a photo of it, so I have to look if it's a fat or a slim one. So, but yeah, if it's a slim one, and I guess it's like uh, um, your top two, where they are uh, like private servers that you can connect to, still.
1: Yeah, or? it's uh, the yeah they have the servers up. I'm in the Discord for it. Uh.
0: Okay, Yannick, you colored me quite curious with this. We might have to make this happen this year. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe it's something you should have mentioned maybe six months ago, so we could have had that. Uh, we pl- did. We mentioned it on the show twice. I even sent a really? video about it.
1: Yeah, we were talking about Gran oh, yeah. before Online Beta.
0: I Yeah, I recalled watching the video, but I didn't recall that it could be something po- that we could make happen.
1: Well, but I didn't I, know you had a PS2, so...
0: In theory, I could still borrow my... or. Asked my brother where he put the family ps2 but that one is a fat ps2 so i know i will have to have the uh, the ethernet slash hard drive adapter to make it work but mm. i guess we can look into that uh, but yeah, uh, long story short is still that I have an N64, that, I, that there are games I would like to play again. Uh, but again, I don't have a full setup, even if I'm watching more and more, uh, YouTube videos about old tech, including people that, uh, truly enjoy, uh, CRT TVs and CRT <laughs> monitors. Uh, and again, the temptation is making garb, but I have no space for this. So, uh, need, more or less is I need to find a way to play Dozel console in my, more than oled tv uh that will be more or less simpler for me to make it happen Uh, so there's that and again uh again i'm watching a lot of old tech shit on youtube recently so kind of like also thinking about like i mentioned where's my game boy color looking (laughs) to making that happen and all the fun stuff there's no promise about this because those those things are like kind of a they have, I have a week in the year where I'm thinking about that and never go through it. So we shall see. But uh, yeah, I think right now that's more or less where I'm at. Again, the holiday season is about to start here. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised that I'll be revisiting some of the games I didn't mention. Now I'm kind of like really in the mood to possibly revisit Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order uh, in the next few weeks. So, so yeah, but... Uh, we shall see. Again, maybe the temptation of GT7 will make me want to look into getting a PS5. I don't really know. We yeah. shall see again. Uh, but for sure, for sure, I expect in 2022 an episode about GT7. Will it be right around lunch in March? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but it wouldn't be us if we don't play GT7.
1: It's true. Although I'm worried about the PS4 version and how it's going to turn out, but that...
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Especially that we both own base PS4. It might be less problematic on PS4 Pro, but those are really rare. So, yeah. Yeah, that's mainly it for me. Uh, It sounds like I don't have that much of a bright future for 2022, but I guess that's kind of the theme for the past year on my video game experience. Mm, Interesting. What about you? I don't know. Um so like
1: th- there are games that I didn't mention during my uh my honorable mentions that were still kind of like uh Crash Bandicoot 4 I got for Christmas last year and I played about a third of it and it's really really good. Uh it the main reason I didn't really want to talk about it on the show is because basically everything i said about crash 2 applies to crash 4 and it would just feel like a rerun um like the, the one thing i could say about that is it's interesting in the fact that uh like we were talking about uh 3d linear platformers is not a thing that you really see very much like crash was kind of the last kind of exploration of that and like super mario 3d land 3d world like that's the reason i like those games is because they are sort of 3D linear explorations of the platformer genre. And what that game sort of proved to me is, wow, there's a lot of design space left in 3D linear platformers that has been unexplored because nobody's been making them. Uh, So like, that's interesting. So I would like to uh, get back to playing that game. I think it would Mm -hmm. be really interesting. I've had a little bit more curiosity towards Western RPGs um, as opposed to Japanese RPGs. So I've got Skyrim VR, which I would like to play because i have heard like it was the 10th anniversary of skyrim this year and i still haven't really played more than the first quest in skyrim i was walking around in vr and seeing all the beautiful mountains and stuff and it looks gorgeous in vr but i would like to play more of skyrim vr because it feels like a game that i would have a lot to say about if i played it but i just haven't had the time to play it yet so that is interesting likewise and I can't believe I'm saying this after we shat on it so much uh, on last year's episode, I sort of feel like I need to play Cyberpunk
0: 2077.
1: Oh, I see. I'm not sure that it's necessarily a game that I would enjoy, but it is definitely a game that has a lot of elements that I'm curious about. And the reason for this is Tim Rogers' 10 hour and 8 minute review of Cyberpunk 2077, which was sort of the YouTube gaming event of the year for me i i've been literally waiting a year for this video to come out right <laughs> and he had so much trouble uploading it to youtube and it was a whole thing uh i am very curious about this game f- for reasons that i don't want to spoil but uh like aesthetically i've i find uh cyberpunk to be an extremely beautiful game to begin with
0: if you play it on pc of course uh, right and i think if this it is one of it of its benefit or great qualities is if you have the already to run it it is beautiful yep
1: and unfortunately i don't have the hardware to run it but it is on stadia and a lot of people recommended stadia mm. as being the main way to play this if you don't have a good pc so i see getting back into stadia would be interesting so i
0: so you wait a sec it's on like paid stadia i guess
1: no, no, it's on regular Stadia. It's just you have to buy the game outright, which ah, is kind okay. of the sucky thing, right? Right, so right, right. Everybody agrees that uh, you should not play Cyberpunk 2077 on a base PS4, including Sony, which lists it on the <laughs> PlayStation Store page if you go check it. On, but the plus side of the PS4 version is it's literally going for $20 used on eBay right now. whereas I would have to pay $80 for a full copy of uh, Cyberpunk on Stadia if I wanted to play it. So I'm kind of debating, do I want to have the fun jank adventure on PS4 for $20, or do I want to play the actual good version of the game on Stadia, or do I just play both?
0: (laughs) Again, I I know the PC you bought is not like a full-on gaming PC, but you did mention to me that it could be upgraded. I was wrong about
1: that, unfortunately. Oh. So the problem is it's uh, the ThinkCenter M93 uh, platform. And what I did not realize when I was doing my research is that there are multiple form factor variations of that platform. So Mm. I have the tiny form factor, uh, which is the same size as my Mac Mini, basically. Right. But the one that can be upgraded is the small form factor, which is... (laughs) Of course. Like... The other one. Uh, so I uh, can't actually put a graphics card on here. I mean, I could if I got an external GPU. Right. But it's not GPU buying season, so I don't know.
0: Right. The, the main reason I, I suggest that is at least if you need to spend $80 somewhere, maybe have uh, spend it on a graphics card. I know graphics are not $80. And that's Definitely not what I'm saying. Not. But if you can spend move that budget to a graphics card at least the the return of value on this purchase is better than just buying cyberpunk in stadia for playing maybe five or six hours on it and that's it
1: yeah the problem is the expense would be so so large compared to the actual benefit i would be getting out of it compared to stadia that i, Fair. I don't know there are other places to allocate that memory uh, that money uh, let's just say that um so yeah like th- those are two games that i'm interested in checking out i do have other games that i have like ongoing playthroughs that i would like to finish uh ff7 remake is a great example uh mm-hmm. i have i don't even know how far i am through that i think it's not even 20 percent yet um i would like to see that all the way to the end because even though i know what all the stuff that's going on is uh i kind of just want to play the game and get a better feeling
0: for it it's funny that your description of Cyberpunk 27 oh, i forgot the numbers but twenty seventy seven. 2017, yeah. So your description of why you want to play Cyberpunk is kind of, I was looking at my wish list uh, and that I kind of have the same reason for you about, but about No Man's Sky. I was like, I kind of mm. need to try this game. I'm not sure I will like it, but it seems to me that it's a game I shouldn't miss. And I guess I'm looking for deals at some point to just buy it on PS4 or something like that.
1: Yeah, No Man's Sky, it's kind of amazing com- considering how the game launched how they've managed to turn that ship around. And now people right. love No Man's Sky, which, I mean, a lot of people, like, they were expecting it to come out like that. And we can have a whole argument about whether or not the uh, the staff behind that game lied or misrepresented some things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a kind of a miracle that they actually managed to turn it around and have a fairly active user base of people who really, really love their game. Uh, that's amazing. You don't see that a lot. Usually you just see them, like shit on the game and then turn around like they kind of did it with cyberpunk to be honest right um so yeah uh i guess i do have some like stretch goals and stuff like i i kind of want to play more fighting games than just blaze blue uh throughout the year uh, i've just haven't had the time to uh participate in tournaments in this end of the year because everything's happening at the same time uh, but, uh, I, like I've been trying to get more into Tekken uh, Tag tech tech Tournament 1, which is a really cool PS2 fighting game that I enjoyed this year. Um, King of Fighters 98 is also a fighting game I'm really interested in, uh, exploring more of competitively. So I'm probably going to be playing more of those games, uh, throughout 2022. Now that I have a PC, uh, I also have, like, a wishlist on steam where i can add games that uh, i want on pc uh so i've been very curious recently about rivals of ether which is kind of like a smash like fighting game that exists on pc and xbox and switch i believe uh so since the only platform of those that i have is pc i'm gonna have to get on pc but i've i'm c- very curious about that and it has very pretty pixel art style that i enjoy uh so that's on my wish list uh oh yeah also because i have a pc now i can play all the pc ports of various konami music games i just don't have the controllers for them uh so or or adapters to get my ps2 controllers working yeah i was
0: i was was about to say maybe uh, you just need adapters which is cheaper
1: well my 2dx controller also is in kind of a rough state right now uh it has lots of buttons that just stick and they're sadly not the generation of 2dx controllers that can be modded to make them unstick so i'm oh. going to need a new 2dx controller if i'm playing that at all and if if i want to play sound voltex then that's a whole other controller that i need to buy that i don't have so it, it's something that i can do this year uh finally now that i have a pc but i'm not in a hurry to do that
0: yeah, it's kind of sad that those cannot be refreshed because that sounds like a fun project to do.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, the American uh, Beatmania 2DX controllers were sort of built in a completely different way from the Japanese ones. And those ones, it's like when the plastic cracks, like you can't really do anything about it. Like the, the plastic in the buttons that make contact yeah, yeah. with the... Uh...
0: Yeah, they they made for they are made for you throw it out and you buy a new one more or less <laughs> pretty much, yeah, uh, that and
1: that's pretty hard. So I probably just go with uh, th- there are a bunch of Chinese controllers that are like really good replicas of the arcade environment, mm. um, but they're like 250 dollars each. So that is, is you have to be careful about like which game you pick if you're going to invest in one of those because you don't want to buy the controller for the wrong game. And in the case of uh, Beatmania 2D X, like as much as I love that game it gives me intense wrist pain nowadays if I play it at my highest level. So I would rather get sound Voltex, which I don't get pain from when I play it. And I have room to grow in that game as well to actually get better. So things to look forward to, I guess. Um, But yeah, I'm probably going to finish my PSO uh, adventure soon, uh, probably over the holidays. Uh, there, There are some titles that I want to keep secret that I have been playing, but fair. I have some interesting thoughts on some other racing games to talk about. Oh yeah, x xCloud. Ooh. I I should go uh, try out Forza Horizon eventually.
0: Okay, you, wanna, you really want to go in in Cloud this year to see and try games?
1: Well, the thing with Forza Horizon specifically is this year they delisted a couple of the older ones, so if I want to play Forza Horizon 4, which is actually the one I'm more excited about than 5, I sort of have to play it this year because next year it'll be gone. Uh, so, oh really
0: huh. yes
1: so i would like to try uh x cloud for forza horizon 4 uh while i have the time and maybe i don't know depending on how good halo infinite turns out and stuff like that i would probably play that it's like it, it's, it would be really strange to not take this opportunity to play all the xbox games i am not able to play right now uh just to give it a shot so i would try that out uh and the one thing i'm not sure about is Destiny 2 is crossplay now, and the big expansion comes out in March.
0: Mm. So I don't know. <laughs> okay. You might have you might be back on Destiny 2 for a couple of weeks when uh, that gets released. A couple of weeks, a couple of months, I don't know. It depends on <laughs> <laughs> how things go.
1: Uh and how pissed I am at the changes that they're making. Because honestly, like we've talked about this, I think, for the past two years, where I don't even know how to buy Destiny 2 anymore. It's gotten mm-hmm. too complicated that someone who has played this game for literally 1,200 hours or something does not know how to buy the game. And if I don't know how to buy the game, I don't know how normal people buy the game. Uh, so every year it just gets more complicated and I legitimately do not know how to buy this game. So that's fun. Maybe that's a, a podcast to look forward to where I try to explain how to buy Destiny <laughs>
0: Or you did buy it and then we get uh, to get the review of the latest expansion. I think it would
1: be more fun to talk about how to buy Destiny than to talk about (laughs) the game, honestly, but (laughs) sure. Uh, But yeah, I'm just rambling now. I don't really have anything else, so we can close it out.
0: Good. So if you want to find the show notes for this episode, you can find them at limitlesspossibility.net slash 174 so 174 you can also find our back at the episode at limitlesspossibility.net you can find the show on twitter at at limipo underscore podcast that's l-i-m-i-p-o underscore podcast you can find us injury on twitter i'm at lukonosh that's l-u-c-c-o-n-o-u-c-h-e and yannick is at sakarina that's S A K U R I N A. and we'll see you in a month see you in a month